So here's a Mark Twain quote for the day. While we're talking about Mark Twain, as we normally do. Never discuss politics or religion in polite company. But honestly, these are the most interesting things to discuss. Yeah, if you or I can't talk about religion, politics, sex, or money. I don't know what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, especially when we work in religion journalism. Even when we're on dates and the guy sitting across from you asks you point blank, why would you still be a Christian? Wow. Well, I definitely want to hear how that worked out. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women living in New York. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. We both come from small, close-knit evangelical communities. And in this podcast, we'll be exploring all the ways Heartland Christianity can actually flourish in the big city. Coming up on this episode, we are going to answer that question we've both gotten more than once. Why are you still a Christian? And a conversation with someone who went from trying to deconvert Christians to reading the Bible every day. It wasn't part of my 20-year vision to become a Christian. The concept of a good and loving God sitting in heaven, the evidence for that was lacking. Robert Monson talks to us about how he stays Christian. But to get us started, Roxy, what was this date all about? Yeah, so very early on after moving to New York City, I went on a date with a friend of a friend. We'd met at a party and hit it off and, you know, some flirtatious texting. And a few days later, we decided to get together for dinner. I can remember the restaurant we were in and where we were sitting and the spicy margaritas on the table between us. And and the conversation got spicy from there. (laughs) It was already like a good conversation. It was flowing. He was smart. He was interesting. Um, But then he asked me in the middle of the conversation, why are you still a Christian? And okay, I I just want to I want to ask a follow up question. Did it sound mean? It sounded baffled. Okay, like he had grown up Catholic. Um, He'd gone to Catholic schools as a kid. But he said, you've heard it before. He started believing in science and he couldn't understand the discrepancies there. I really hate that phrase. (laughs) I know. And he couldn't um, he couldn't handle the, you know, like the the, the problem of evil, like real questions that people always have. Sure. Um, And so he basically said, like, everybody I know who grew up Christian, they're not anymore. Mm. And so here I was kind of like challenging his stereotype of what a Christian is. Because he knew that you were a Christian by this point, And he knew at yeah. some level that you were pretty serious about it or like it was a big defining part of your life. Right. Like I wasn't like a casual Sunday Christian. And he also knew that you're not a dummy, which I can vouch for. Back at you. Yeah. So he was like, I don't get it. Why would you still do this? Why would you still get up every Sunday morning and go to this church? And why would you care about these mm-hmm. things and dedicate like your professional mm-hmm. life to it? And and so it's not like I'm not used to that question or don't know how to talk about my faith, but there was something about it in that moment that felt new and different. Um, and part of that, I think, was being new to New York City and realizing that I was going to get asked this question a lot because I was coming out of communities where there was a lot of assumption that you were a Christian. And I, as I thought about how to answer him in the past, I might have been like, Ooh, here's an opportunity to witness to someone, (laughs) you know, the whole like missionary dating kind of thing. Listen, ladies, it's always (laughs) a bad idea. But I think in that moment, I sort of sat back and took a deep breath and a long drink. And I thought, I think I need to answer this more for me than for him. And I thought, I need to figure out how to articulate 
why I still believe in this in a way that not only is compelling for the person across the table from me, but is also compelling mm-hmm. and convincing to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it sounds like even without him necessarily meaning to that this date over the spicy margarita kind of gave you a gift in having the opportunity to have to figure out how to articulate the meaning of your faith without being able to rely on old tropes that if you're talking to other Christians, you can just kind of tick off certain idioms and catchphrases that you know will land in a certain way. Right. Because I knew he wouldn't know any of those things. Like they wouldn't resonate with him, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is the place that I started was I just started describing how much I loved the old wooden pews in my childhood church. Hmm. I felt like it was a great place to start because I realized that like my faith journey started in childhood, started in this really visceral way Mm -hmm. that I was connected to a community and a place and a building and a feeling that I had every week when I went that was connected to so much more than just the actual like physicality of the pews, but also had all of these memories and all of this love from community and all of this sense of formation in my childhood. And that all of that was like inextricable Mm. to the reasons that I am still a Christian. Yeah. It strikes me that, I mean, obviously this person you were on a date with like is an intelligent person and kind of prizes that. And it Mm -hmm. strikes me as interesting that you didn't marshal like the best apologetics when you're debating a secular person, right? Like you started with something extremely personal going back to your earliest memories and something embedded in community and relationship and memory and aesthetics. I mean, I had a feeling that he'd heard all the apologetics before he'd heard all the arguments and he'd dismiss them. And in some ways, I kind of knew that's not really what he was asking for. He was more asking like, what does this give you? Like, why haven't you given this up yet? Yeah. Like, what is... You must be getting something out of this. What is that thing? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. He didn't He didn't need to be convinced of why it could possibly be true. It was more like he needed to hear the meaning and sense of commitment and community that brought to my life that was in some ways very starkly in contrast to some of his own experiences. So... Did you end up missionary dating him? No, no, I did not convert him. <gasps> Darn, another one bites the dust. No, you know, they say you plant a lot of seeds <laughs> and you never know which ones sprout after you leave. You know, I think I've I planted a seed. Maybe another woman came along and watered it. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, that's not in my Bible. How did he respond when you started talking about the pews. The only thing I really remember was him saying, wow, this is really visceral for you. And I took that home with me. And in some ways Mm. it it, it resonated a lot because I'd become kind of over the years more engaged with higher church traditions, liturgical traditions. And part of the reason that I had been so attracted to those was very visceral, Mm -hmm. like the smell of the incense, the feel of the pews, the sound of the cathedral. Mm -hmm. And I'd, and I'd always thought of that as like a straying from my childhood. But in Mm. some ways when he said that, it almost felt like, wow, this is like a continuation of a thing that was really valuable to me as a child was the visceral physical experience of being in church. Mm. 
So it kind of seems like we need to talk about how we talk about faith. But first, we want to say a few words about the fantastic organization that brought this project to your attention. RNS is an independent, nonprofit, and award winning source of global news on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. I might be biased, but I also think the reporters are the best around. For those of you who don't know, Roxy happens to be an editor with RNS. So for the best in global religion reporting, go to religionnews.com. And while you're in front of your computer, contact us. We want to hear from you. Send us your New York religion stories or stories of how your faith has changed wherever you live. You can shoot us an email to sptcpodcast at religionnews.com. You can even record your story and email that to us as well. And maybe we'll play it on the show. Send it to sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Okay, so there are like two things happening at the same time on this date, right? There's this guy asking me this question, and I can't tell if he's genuinely curious or really just trying to pick a fight. Either way, awkward. But number two, why don't I have a better answer to that? And I think maybe it's a little bit because I just haven't actually had to answer it very many times because... It's just sort of the water I swim in. Yeah, I think that's true for me, too. It's not a question that we have to answer most days. We're just doing the thing. Right. But it's been, as we've talked about, one of the more interesting things about living in New York City is this forced thinking about why we are a Christian. So I met this person recently on Twitter, Robert Monson, who, after getting to know his story a bit, I thought he'd be a great guest for this podcast and have a lot of insight on this. So who is Robert Monson? Robert Monson is content creator for Subculture Inc. It's a nonprofit working to remove barriers for black college students. He's also one of the hosts of the Three Black Men podcast. They have conversations around theology, culture, and life through the lens of black experience. I wanted him to tell us why he's still a Christian, but To begin with, we actually had to start with, why did you ever become a Christian in the first place? Because he was most decidedly not a Christian early in life. What does that mean exactly? Was he full-on atheist earlier in life? Yeah. I mean, in grade school and all the way into college, he told me that he actually made a game or it was his mission to try and talk Christians out of their faith. Interesting. I feel like I went to college with a guy very much like that. (laughs) All right. Well, here's Robert. I think, uh, and this is sad because it was a cheap shot. My own life story was the biggest deconversion tactic because Mm. if you're going to tell me that there's a God who loves people, okay, well then explain to me why my father tortured me and left me without food for days or pushed me out of moving vehicles. Sorry. And so that was, that was a cheap shot admittedly. Wow. He calls that a cheap shot. I, I feel like that's pretty big of him. It sounds like a valid argument. He had a lot of reasons to not believe in God as a kid, even to hate God. Yet he did end up becoming a Christian um, in college. He doesn't go through any kind of recruitment and he doesn't claim to have had a lightning bolt moment. But he does have this significant moment where he starts to hear a voice in his head. So I asked him to explain that for me. Easter 2004 and... uh, I woke up and I thought that I was actually going insane. The voice that I heard speaking was saying the opening lines of John chapter 14. So to other people, that's like miraculous. Oh my God, you knew that God was speaking to you. I did not think that at the time um, because there's a history of mental illness in my family. Huh. That actually sounds a little bit lightning boldy to me. (laughs) 
Yeah, but he doesn't, he definitely doesn't see it that way. And then he just kind of starts living his life as a Christian without really a church or culture that tells him what to say or how to say it. That's interesting. It's like he's coming to this organic expression of Christian faith. Right. He actually sort of even doesn't realize he's a Christian. So a month into Mm. this process, I came across a group of Pentecostal kids and they said, hey, we heard you've been saved. And my response to them was, I'm definitely not saved. I just believe that Jesus Christ is God. And uh, they're like, yeah, that's what that means, bro. (laughs) Which was a bummer. That's funny. Leave it to the Pentecostal kids to um, set you straight about being saved. Yeah. And then when he did start going to church, there were some growing pains. In church, everyone hugged each other. They loved each other. So I remember being very hostile to people, actually. And I just had this, like, why do Christians always have to touch each other? I'm just like (laughs) very perturbed by that. And then for me, because of the way in which I was solitary with God, I was my full raw self. So the first Mm -hmm. time I went and they asked me to pray, I was like, okay, well, God, we effing thank you for that. (laughs) They're like, oh my God. And I'm just speaking, I was as raw as you could be. That's a great prayer. I actually wish that I um, prayed a little bit more honestly, like Robert did in that moment. One reason Robert's story really stuck out to me is because he didn't grow up steeped in the culture and the language. He was able to kind of sidestep a lot of the dogma and cultural baggage that comes from growing up in it. It's like he's using his own vocabulary and not relying on just other words that other people have told him to say. Exactly. And well, actually, we're going to spend a little time later in this podcast discussing Christian lingo. I am definitely gearing up for that. So I'm guessing that means Robert's answer to how can you be a Christian looks a bit different for him than it does for us. It definitely does. And some of the biggest struggles Robert points to in maintaining his faith are actually other Christians. I can relate to that. (laughs) So here he is. I put the question to him, the question of the day, how can you still be a Christian? That is a question I've honestly asked myself at different junctures. I think when I have encountered the depth of hypocrisy that I first witnessed as a young person, it hurts, you know. um, Yeah, it does. And so I think what has kept me in the faith, which sounds like a cliche answer, is literally just Jesus. Yeah. As I've tried to mature in my faith, I've put a lot of stock in Christian leaders, and that has left me wanting. <laughs> and I have put my like faith in the integrity of the church, only to find out, no, the history of the church is brutal and ugly, and it remains that way to this day. Yeah. And so I've had to keep coming back to, do I believe that Jesus is God? Yeah, and you've, um, you've also been through some pretty personally very difficult things in the years since you became a Christian, but that hasn't Mm -hmm. turned you away from believing that there's a loving God. Yeah, I've tried to. (laughs) 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 I've packed my bags uh, many times. Um, I have went through a number of hard things, whether it's recently and having a medical condition, whether that's burying two young ones after they drowned. Even though I didn't grow up in the church, you do take on the belief that if I do the right things, if I say the magic words, God will shield me from harm. And that is not true. I don't have an answer for that. 
and I'm very vocal about that. I never try to answer why does God allow bad things to happen to people, you know, and those boys yeah. meant the world to me. Um, after years of them being in my care, they drowned. I have questions for God about that. And I just force myself not to try to fill in the blanks with a nice, easy answer because I don't have one. Um, and nobody has one. I think watching Christians go through times like that, you know, I think that's one of the bigger testaments to the reality of the Christian story, which is that Jesus came. He was here with us. He suffered with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. You're welcome. What is great about Robert's story is you hear him talking to and about God in this authentic way. And I think as people who grew up in the church, it's easy for us to fall back on language about faith that gets cliched very quickly. Which makes sense because if I talked about my faith the way that I did when I was 13... Like when you used to say you were totally on fire for Jesus. (laughs) Well, yes. So I thought it would be fun even if a bit cringy, to talk about some of the language that we grew up with as evangelicals. Ah, yes. Christianese. Exactly. This is the vocabulary that today's evangelicals often use as shorthand to talk about their relationship with God. Even that relationship with God. It kind of sounds weird. (laughs) I guess I still have some in me. So I ended up taking an informal poll to see what Christianese turned out to be the most cringeworthy. And I got hundreds of responses. And I thought it would be fun to talk about some of the top contenders. Number one, Top of the list, bless your heart. Of course it is. Oh, bless your heart, dear. It's so patronizing. It sounds like the (laughs) nicest thing, but it's super mean. (laughs) One that comes to mind for me that's like more recent that I know people brought up in your comments is I just want to love on those whatever. Yeah. So like (laughs) love on those teenagers, whatever. And it's so awkward. I don't understand how people don't hear how bad it sounds. It's creepy. (laughs) Along with like, I just want to come alongside you. That's another yes. one. Oh my That's gosh. That's another one. I, I just want to come alongside people in their journeys. There are so many journeys in Christianity. There are a lot of seasons. So many seasons. <laughs> but Christians are always in a season. And so I feel the need to say, like, at its best, this language is just talking about, like, God is, like, with you in your life and has different things planned for your life. Valleys and peaks, which... Is not necessarily just a Christian thing. Well, and the, the whole season thing is nice. It's a nice metaphor. It is true that like our lives change and yes, there's, you know, and it's a way of like being hopeful, like this is just for a time, but it gets so overused and so spiritualized. It just becomes shorthand mm-hmm. for things that actually really have a lot of depth, mm. but you hear it so many times that it just doesn't mean anything anymore in a lot right, of ways. Right, right. Like the language of seasons could actually be a really powerful metaphor, but the overuse of it 
is what makes it a cliche. And sometimes I think it's dangerous. I mean, like, we can use language like, I feel called to this, or I feel led Mm. to this. And it ends up maybe over-spiritualizing our own desires, even over-spiritualizing our responses to people. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard it used in dating, I feel called to this person. I feel called away from this person. Just as an aside, to a person, to a female person, all of the Christian women I knew have had at some point a man tell them that God told him that they were supposed to marry her. (sighs) Or break up with her. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, huh, God just gave you the memo that we were supposed to get married? Which I think goes back to the language of like, I feel called to Mm -hmm. or I feel led to. It's Mm -hmm. often just as Christians, we feel like we have to have like a spiritual justification for making the decisions that we do. And so we can say, I feel called to or led to when in fact, that's just what we want to do. I mean, I've definitely used this language before. Like when people say, I feel called to or I feel led to, what really is upsetting to me and something that I have noticed, I think more acutely is the language of God told us that we should do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, who gets to question God? Exactly. If someone says, well, God told us that our church is supposed to make this decision or go in this direction, who is able to question that decision? Right. That had just happens to align with what the lead pastor wants to do. No, I mean, so much of this can be totally manipulated. Even if that's not always the intent. Yeah. I'm thinking of conversations with pastors where the language of like God said or God told us or God laid it on my heart. Mm-hmm. At the time, I might have taken that to be just a sincere expression. But I think the more that we see like abuses of power in church communities, like it, it sends off a signal for me now that it didn't when I was like growing up. All right. Here's a big one that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Everything happens for a reason. Well, I do feel like people beyond Christians say that, right? Yeah, but it sort of originates in a sort of Christian teaching. And it and it's usually, it's everything happens for a reason, or it's God has a plan, or God is in control, or mm-hmm. God is sovereign. Yeah, so I'm actually more comfortable with like a general claim that like God is in control, and yet I have no idea what that actually means in my life. Yeah. It's more everything happens for a reason. No, awful things no. happen for no reason all the time. And that's what's so hard about being a human in a broken world. I mean, it's interesting how something as simple as a cliched phrase actually contains within it one of the most difficult questions of Christianity, which is where is God in our suffering? Mm-hmm. How can a good God let terrible things happen? That is to me like the most powerful criticism of Christianity. Like at the end of the day, that's the thing that holds the most power for me. And so it's unfortunate to see other Christians say things that are actually more damaging, even as they they mean to be comforting. I mean, I think that's one of the most difficult things about all of this Christianese is they're coined phrases that are really about deep and difficult things. And Mm -hmm. they don't even come 
close in a lot of ways to scratching the surface of the theology that's behind them. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get it. I mean, mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. why people like go to these phrases, but right. it's a band aid you can put over something. Yeah. And so I think as people of faith, like the really important challenge before us always is to find language and to take the time to find language that gives honor to the complexities at the heart of the faith and to not lean on cliches because we don't know what to say. 100%. So at this point, I'm wondering, are we actually any closer to answering this question at the center of our conversation? Why are you still a Christian? It remains elusive to me. Because of what other Christians behaving badly or because there's so much suffering and awfulness in the world. And it's like, where's God? Yep. Take your pick. (laughs) Both of those things. Absolutely. Or when I see, you know, the beauty of other religions, Mm -hmm. am I just a Christian? Because this is what I grew up with. And there are days and weeks and months that I probably feel that way. And, um, and church really just is about community and not necessarily about the beliefs. But then when I live my life and I face hard things or I see beautiful things, it's God that I find myself talking to. Mm-hmm. How would you answer? Why are you still a Christian? Well, in some ways, it feels like something that I couldn't walk away from, even if I tried, yeah. because I have tried. And like the person of Christ has proven to nonetheless be the most compelling figure who I keep coming back to. I, I also think Christianity feels like something that continues to choose me. Yes, right? Even when I don't always want to choose Christianity. Yeah. Because, gosh, just being kind of your like, I don't know, (laughs) educated, white, vaguely secular, spiritual, but not religious, progressive person in New York would be like a lot more comfortable (laughs) Yeah, than having to go out on first dates and be like, oh, yeah, I I worked at a magazine called Christianity Today. (laughs) You mentioned this earlier, and and, like, I want to strive to be this better person. Mm -hmm. I want to strive to follow the example of Jesus, and I believe that my actions matter and they impact other Mm -hmm. people. The reason I believe that is because this person on the corner begging for food is created in the image of God. Like, and having that rooted is very important to Mm -hmm. me. Like it, it gives me a conviction that motivates me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like one of the difficult, but challenging in a good way, things that came out of this conversation with the spicy margarita guy <laughs> is like not only having to articulate for other people our beliefs, but also to find language for articulating mm-hmm. beliefs where some of the language of Christianity might sound really strange. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's totally true. I think it's true for how we reflect on our own faith back to ourselves and also how we present and communicate that faith to people who are outside of the Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm glad to have the challenge of like finding maybe new words to articulate maybe the same core beliefs, but finding words that carry more water, like they do more work than the words that maybe I was given as a 13-year-old. Absolutely. 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 
that's our show. Another incredible podcast just for you. Get in touch with us. You can tweet to the hashtag saved by the city. We'll get it and reply. We want to hear from you. What should we talk about? Who should we talk to? You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. Saved by the City is a Religion News Service production. The executive producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting producer is Paul O'Donnell. Chaz Russo put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. Thanks for listening.